Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Emmy Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. I am Mark Bryan, the Director of Innovation and Research for MA Architects, a certified futurist, master trend forecaster, and designer. At the beginning of this year, we kicked off season two of our podcast with our forecasts for 2021, citing past precedent of how inflection points such as 2020 changed the world that we knew and what it means for this year coming up. It included insights into the workplace, retail, and behavioral patterns that will shift and affect how businesses thrive. And I'm Sam Moeller, the Director of Strategic Communications for MA and a guru on all things human behaviors, well-being, and mental health. While it's only March, many of our forecasts are already starting to affect our clients and the community as a whole. And with that brings a question to the forefront that everyone has been asking us, and I'm sure you've been talking about. What is the future of our physical spaces? Many of you are wondering what to do with your offices, your stores, how to help your employees, how to position your space to serve you for success. And today, we have the expert of all experts. I'm looking at him right now. To answer those questions, we're welcoming Clayton Davis from JLL. JLL is a world leader in real estate services, helping their clients create rewarding opportunities and amazing spaces around the globe so people can achieve their ambitions. Clayton's role at JLL encompasses strategic planning and account management for a wide variety of national and international corporate real estate users by providing innovative, scalable, and comprehensive solutions. This guy who has all the answers is here today. And along with that, it's his passion for aligning office space with company culture and mission that led us to bring on another guest today, Emmy Architects Alicia Huber. Alicia is our Director of Experiential Design. Her background in creating multi-sensory design that communicates brands in space starts by collaborating with clients to understand their story and message and then bringing it to life in meaningful ways. With past projects such as White Castle's corporate headquarters where she helped bring to life their legendary Craver throne and a host of other projects such as Danish Construction, Burgess and Naipaul, and the Columbus Chamber of Commerce's Retail Summit, Alicia continues to set the bar for how experiential design can connect with human behaviors and needs to leave lasting impressions. Both Alicia and Clayton are going to be talking about how to sell your space, how to create value through your space, what 2020 meant for brands and businesses that want to adapt their brand voice and personality, and so much more. If you want to know how to revive your culture and what to do with your real estate and other pro tips for your business, this is the episode for you. Welcome, Clayton and Alicia. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on here. I've been a big fan of the podcast. Uh, you know, you said expert in the uh, in the field, but I think I'm podcast 270, so I don't know how big of an expert right now, but uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. It was just scheduling, Clayton. You would have been our top choice. <laughs> there you go. Yes, so excited to be here, and especially alongside Clayton. This will be a great conversation today. Definitely. Well, we have so, so much to talk about, but before we do that, we have to go through my favorite activities. Are you ready, Sam, to ask some questions? Yes. We're going to talk a lot about what you guys do professionally today. So first, we're going to start off getting to know a little bit more about you personally. Clayton, we're picking on you first. You ready, man? Yep. Let's do it. If you had a spontaneous day off, what is the first thing you would do? Spontaneous day off. Now, are we talking summertime, Midwest Ohio, or, or wintertime? You pick your dream day. I, I would probably pick a tea time. Um, I would. Uh, I would definitely be golfing if I had the day off. Love that. Very doable. What's the best thing that happened this year? This year, um, well, I got married at the end of last year, so uh, this year I uh, was able to fortunately take a trip with my wife and a few friends down to uh, St. Thomas for a, a catamaran nice. trip. So love St. Thomas. We uh, we were able to travel down there and return safely, i.e., without COVID. Yeah, so that's great. Awesome. Yep. Which is such a win in today's world. Mm-hmm. Last question, Clayton. Best way to decompress. Best way to decompress for me um, is 
A, put the phone in the car and, and get a workout in and just completely unplug for if it's even a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour, just com- completely disengage from the day to day minutia and just kind of focus on you for that short period of time. Love that. I did so too. much. All right, Alicia, you ready? Yes. Spontaneous day off. What's the first thing you would do? I would book a workout first thing. And then I would probably find a, a, a massage um, because you can never have too many of those. Um, and I would probably clean my house, to be honest. I love the deep cleaning. <laughs> um, but if we were talking about actual fun, I think I would probably find a lake or a mountain um, to visit. I think that would probably be a good day off. That sounds like a dream day. What is the best thing that happened to you this year? Ooh, the best thing so far, um, my beautiful little niece was born. Um, I can't get enough of her. And so I've been spending a lot of time with family lately, which is a blessing, especially after everything that happened last year. So really excited. Absolutely. Last question. Best way to decompress? The best way to decompress? I would probably have to piggyback off of what Clayton was saying, workout. Um, I love putting my mind in a workout and seeing where I can take my strength mentally, especially during that hour or even less. Um, Uh, and not think about anything other than my body at that time. So I agree. You guys are speaking my language. I'm so here for it. I was going to say, I feel like that's our top response, right? Get outside, do some exercise. We need an exercise podcast. Yeah. Like we need to start our own like internal video on YouTube. Live from Butcher Shop Fitness. Great. (laughs) Love Butcher Shop. (laughs) Go ahead, Mark. We can take it away a little bit more uh, professionally now. All right. Well, let's dive in then. So Clayton, we're going to hit you up first. Part of your role as executive vice president for JLL includes portfolio agility. What are you advising clients to do that own larger businesses right now, a thousand people or more, um, and you know other large office spaces? For the larger occupiers that we're representing right now, we're we're really hesitant to tell them to make a shift in one particular direction, without slowing down and analyzing what they currently have. Right. Everybody is impacted by this, uh, regardless of the vertical, good and bad. Um, you know, you could call it bad from not being able to come into the office, but good uh, as far as our distribution clients. Those guys, uh, I think our, our research group just came out a, a week or so ago, and I may misquote this, but it's a, a football field a week needs developed for the next five years to keep up with distribution, which is insane. Um, but as far as the larger occupiers, um, which we have here in town and everybody's familiar with, we really are, are hesitant or, or telling them to, to slow down and take a strategic look at what they have. Each business unit is being impacted, but they're being impacted differently. You know, our sales team, for example, we, we thrive being in the office, but there's also divisions of our company that are doing well with some autonomy that they're, that they're seeing there. So, and that's going to be different for every organization. So I think, you know, what we're telling folks is to, to slow down and then allow a strategic approach to what that looks like um, from not only a reintegration standpoint, but from a long-term basis moving forward. I couldn't agree more. Everything that we have been seeing and reading and hearing and researching ourselves is, is saying the exact same thing. You know, prior to the pandemic, we had this workplace stressor survey that we were rolling out for our respite rooms to make sure that we knew what stresses were in place to implement the right uh, solutions in those respite rooms. And now I think it's completely different. Like, I don't think you could probably give that survey because I think everybody's still work from home and it's too soon to understand that. However, what we are finding out is, is like what you're saying, you need to figure out what the department needs are, what the individual employee needs are, and then service them so that way they can still be productive, but find their work-life balance since we all are juggling a hundred things right now. Yeah. And I think we know 
know that regardless of what happens moving forward, the five-day work week is, is shifting away, right? And, you know, uh, for example, we've, we've got a, a few groups with the large customer service um, you know, uh, division. And what they're seeing is, A, they, you know, right away they were seeing a ton of efficiencies with that autonomy. However, now that we're, we're surveying those employees, they need some type of human interaction. So does that mean a one-day, two-day week, or maybe once a month, you know, whatever, for training, for collaboration, for just human interaction? we got to find that balance, and uh, it'll be different for everybody. Yeah, I think um, what's funny is I was literally having a conversation, uh, I think yesterday I was – I had come into the office and was on my way home and I was calling a friend just to talk to her and I was saying, I feel like I'm finally understanding the pandemic wall, the COVID wall, where it's all just built up from a stress standpoint. And, you know, Italy and a lot of other European countries will take off for an entire month in August. I think we need to promote taking off the entire month of April right now, maybe May, (laughs) whatever that looks like. But, you know, because to your point about having, you know, a four or five day work week, it's not good for us to have that five-day work week. So we need to figure out how we can find that balance. I love that. Alicia, let's talk, too, about some trends and some really big innovations that stemmed from 2020. If unprecedented change was a driver for brands last year, the runner-up was definitely adaptation. And 2020 was a year of fast pivots and adaptability for most companies. And now, in 2021, brands are really considering their image more than ever before, especially when you consider things like social unrest and, and these things where now it really matters your brand's image and what your, that representation looks like in the community and as a company. Can you explain to our listeners the idea of a visual personality, what it is and how it pertains to selling your space? Yes. Um, I think a visual personality is when you want to curate the moments with your brand in a specific space. Um, And that can be visual cues. How do we want someone to feel in a space? How do we want them to take away the space? What do we want them to remember? So those personalities are important now more than ever, like you were saying. And um, I think one of the differentiators between past years and this year coming up is everyone is so used to working from home, the convenience how are we going to make the workspace a destination? How are we going to get someone to want to work there, especially if we're talking about people being in the workspace um, for only a couple days a week, for instance? Um, So it's really sitting down and understanding who are you targeting and what spaces and what are those visual cues that you want to bring to the table um, and have people take away. Can you give me an example? What would that actually look like or what would people maybe be familiar with? Yeah. So, for instance, if, if, if you think about a, a workplace lobby, what is that one thing that you want to take away, have your, um, your guests take away? So is it the brand? Is it your mission statement? That could be really important nowadays. Um, what are those things? Is it the employees, all the faces that are behind the walls that you might not be seeing in the lobby? Those are the visual, those are the visual communication um, areas that I think are really important. Well, I think it's interesting because I feel like we've talked about it before, but there's the uh, hedonic treadmill where, you know, research shows that the more you experience something, the less happiness it brings you. Unless that experience is an actual physical in-person experience, like going to a football game versus getting a football as a present from uh, for Christmas. You remember that experience more and it brings you more pleasure, uh, more happiness over and over again because you can experience it, remember it, recall it in a different way. And I think that's part of what you're talking about from that visual cue standpoint, right? That's what you remember when you come back to that space. Yes, it's curating those memories or those key takeaways. 
And every experience is different, too. I mean, even your favorite restaurant, every time you go, it's something different. It's a new menu item. It's a new staff member. It's a new something, you know, or new conversation that you had or a company that you had at the table aside from you, you know. So every time you experience something, it is so different. And I think a lot of people are in these ruts right now staying at home. Our lives are feeling so monotonous and so, so, so mundane because we're not extracting ourselves from that to have an experience, you know, and to really stimulate our brains in a different way. And instead, we're just staying with this plateau of what we were forced to do for so long, but we're moving into this era where we will now have a choice on what that looks like. And, you know, I think, Clayton, you're totally spot on. The five-day work week, probably not nine to five, especially for progressive brands now. But, you know, so what does that look like? Is it a place you can come on Saturdays, you know, and you bang some stuff out in the morning and then you have the rest of your day? I don't know, you know, but it is interesting. I love the idea of having an experience with in your physical space that draws people there and leaves them with an impression of whatever that brand is. Well, and I think, Clayton, I'd be curious on on your opinion of this. So your experience with global benchmarking services has given you a wider perspective on trends, you know, and and what's anticipated to change in the real estate world. What do you think are some of the bigger trends as they pertain to businesses and their, you know, real estate footprint? Well, I think a lot of this is going to exactly what Alicia and her team are doing, you know, to the physical environment of that space. So you guys talked about what is that experience when you walk in. Um, You know, that will stem from a recruitment, from a retention standpoint, from, you know, just a cultural extraction, right? So, you know, working from home, I think somebody had mentioned it a second ago that you don't have that feeling. When you're looking at the same dining room picture that you look at every day and then post 5 o'clock you're still within those four walls, you don't have that experience. You don't have that a human interaction. You know, when a, when a new recruit walks in, what story are you telling them? Or a new client walks in, what story are you telling them? You know, the M&A vertical has been extremely uh, rapid in, in multiple different spaces, financial, manufacturing, production. It's been very rapid. So you have multiple cultures overlapping now with one office, right? And so how do you tell that story about who you are, you know, from front to beginning or, or end, from tip to tail, when somebody walks in uh, into their lobby space and then uh, obviously as they uh, then communicate throughout the balance, how do, how do you tell that story of who, who you are as a company? Well, so I'm curious, so in your 14 years of experience, like what do you think um, physical space does for a company's culture? I think you've touched on it a little bit, you know, it allows for some engagement, but what else can it do for companies in their culture? Well, you know, I think the main part is there is the collaboration, you know, the, the feeling of, of just of, of welcomeness. I think with what Alicia and her team are doing is going to be far more important going forward than what the emphasis we put on it over the last 36 months. I mean, candidly, your space isn't that old right now, right? We We didn't put a lot of effort into figuring out how to put that into the environment because its office was a place to come to work and collect a paycheck and health care, et cetera. Now it's a much bigger tool. And, you know, I think the, the folks that are going to find themselves being uh, at the competitive advantage are going to be embracing that change now and, and implementing those, those, those moves or those uh, initiatives. Well, so the, the thing that we keep talking about with a lot of our companies who are going to this hybrid model, you know, where you have the blended of work from home and work in the office or work in some kind of physical space is they want to create these culture centers or mm-hmm. cultural hubs. How do you feel about that? You know, we all use different words or sure. different cliche industry terms for it. You know, personally, I, I use the collaboration hub, um, you know, within the space. Right. And so we actually are doing a deal in, in Austin, Texas now where we're getting rid of a of a satellite office and just creating a smaller collaboration hub for folks to be able to come in and plug in but you know more importantly within like headquarter facilities we're finding those types of collaboration hubs for different divisions of the company you know there there may be a, a certain group that only needs to come in two to three days a week but they still need a dedicated place to come in and sit down with their team 
collaborate, train, um, or just get out of the uh, out of the house, um, you know, just to give themselves a, a, a change of scenery there. So, and each of those different divisions are going to be different. And, you know, what that collaboration hub is, I, I think should be tailored to that particular group. And so they feel that that's a part of them and that's an extension of, of, uh, of their team. So, I mean, flexibility is also an important part of that, right? Because like we keep talking about work from home, we don't really have a choice if you're working solely from home 100% of the time. And research actually shows that having flexibility is a good thing for your mental health. And so I think that's what we are talking about providing for those cultural centers, cultural hubs, whatever the terminology you want to come up with. But it's about providing that choice and that flexibility. So how you need to work that day can be different on a daily basis. So you can experience that space differently on a daily basis too. You know, and that's even bigger. And I apologize for interrupting here. I know that wasn't a question directed at me. <laughs> no, go but for th- it. This has been a forced change management initiative on every single group, right? And probably more important for the leaderships of these companies. And so, you know, for the the old style of management, out of sight, out of mind, you know, if you're not there, you're not working, you know, that's been forced to go away, you know, good, right, and different, you know, our, our employee base is now trained that way. And so we have to figure out how to embrace that going forward. Because if I think if you, if you just tell somebody that they're going to have to come back in 100% of the time, um, you're, you're going to get a lot of pushback. Absolutely. We just talked with the CEO of Cohatch, Matt Davis, and he was saying the same thing, that any company that come you know, June says, all right, you have to come back nine to five every single day, you are going to eradicate your top 10% of your talent because they can work for a company in San Francisco now, no issue. You know What I am fascinated with from a human psychology perspective, though, is relationships and collaboration because we have been fortunate at MA. We're hiring a lot again. And for most of us that work here, we're riding the coattails of existing relationships. We, you know, we are still able to ping each other a G-chat from home because we know each other from having been together in our physical space. But for these new employees, I've been asking them, probably ad nauseum they probably like don't answer Sam anymore but what is that experience like to never actually meet somebody because you can only create so much of a relationship via the virtual world you know so much of communication is nonverbal, and you know you lose they're saying like from a digital perspective up to you know 85 percent of actual communication cues if you're only messaging with somebody online you know so I'm really fascinated by that and I think that this collaboration concept is so crucial to culture. And so for only so long can we all stay apart from each other physically and stay connected for it to really be successful. But physical spaces will never be completely obsolete because they're so necessary. And I think this pendulum swung in 2020 and some companies were really quick to react. But instead of waiting to respond to equilibrium where they said this is now what balance looks like, you know, that's what I'm intrigued. And that's what I think this conversation is kind of focused on today is what is equilibrium? What can we expect? What does success look like for really progressive, innovative companies moving forward? And I really think a lot of that stems from flexibility, similar to what Mark was saying. Um, For instance, we're in the the uh, co-creation room here at MA that we just started. Um, uh, we're putting the final touches on. Um, and it's really nice to have the flexibility. If I need more people time during the day, I can come here, even if it's not at my home office or if it's even upstairs from my desk. I can come down here and collaborate with people or people that I might not work with every day. Um, having the flexibility to determine when you need to be more heads down and when you can have a little bit more of a conversation, um, collaboration, um, time and space I feel like flexibility is huge Mm -hmm. and so what are we what are we telling everybody in these rooms too so what what are the stories are there any where are we where are we putting the brand um this room is so unlike anything that we have otherwise at MA though you know we're all sitting on this brown leather couch and there's a rug in front of us and it's very very 
comfortable. It feels like we're hanging out at a coffee shop or even someone's house, you know. So it's interesting to see this shift. And Mark talks all the time about resumercial, so I'll just let him talk about it. <laughs> Love it. Well, yeah, I mean, it does embody that, where we're, we're familiar with our homes now more than ever. And even before the pandemic, we were starting to see people wanting comfortable spaces. And so it's that blending of the resumercial and commercial lifestyle. That's where resumercial comes from. What I really love about spaces like this and what I think the future of the workplace is going to go and how it's going to blend in with, you know, Alicia's XD components are it shows personality, you know, it shows humor. You know, that's the one thing, like, we at MA Architects have a very loud personality. Like, if you get us together in a room, we're you? not the quiet bunch in the corner. <laughs> we're, the, we're the ones who are, like, laughing it up, having a good time, because we relate to each other in a very uh, workplace family mentality. And I think that's what this room is really embodying, is, like, our go-get-it attitude, but just our fun personality as well, too. Your next question is the perfect segue. Well, yeah, I mean, so I think the next question is really, you know, WGSN is one of our trend forecasting tools, which recently shared a report on the concept of new visual identities for companies. In in an excerpt from the report, brands are refreshing their visual presence and personality in order to stand out from competitors in their respective markets. Overall, the following strategies aimed to unify logos, express personality, and modernize messaging. So what are you doing with companies these days, Alicia, to help make their um, personalities uh, thrive? Like, what does the audit tool look like? Um, you know, what are you doing to help refresh brands in their companies? Yeah, so first we'll sit down with uh, a company, their marketing team, everybody who really wants to be a part of the process, and we will uncover what those things are that really drive a brand. What do they want to say about themselves? What do they want people to take away? Similar to what we were talking about before, but we really get into the details. Who, what makes who they are, who they are. And we use those tools, things that come out of that, that those meetings, those initial meetings, then we curate design um, in spaces and the impact areas based on what we find during that time. So for instance, if they are looking to really drive home their mission statement, so when people come in to collaborate, everyone's on the same page, they know the mission, we will make sure that that's front and center for all employees or even the guests if that's what they want the guests to see. Something I feel like um, is happening more now is wanting everybody to feel like they're together. So really the employee presence, making sure that everyone is uh, visible in in all of the workplaces, even though they might not be physically there. Um, So how can the digital platforms be part of that? Um, Is there a welcoming is there a welcoming digital screen that shows uh, the good news for somebody that might be working from home, but they're there in the physical environment environment by you know, just way of this is what the good that I've done at work. This is a project that I've completed. Um, so what are some other ways that we can bring the employees into the physical space, even though they might not be there that day? Um, so I think a lot of it is just really diving into what we want to talk about. What, what does a brand want to say about themselves when someone walks into the door? What do they want them to remember? Well, and I know Sam is all things behavioral psychology, but I'm really curious, you know, so the from the studies that we're seeing, the human leading emotions for 2021 are uh, hope, excitement, and then they're followed up by gratitude and trust. And it's just such a positive attitude coming out of 2020. So what are some of the ways that you help uh, these brand audits come up with like better connections to human emotions? I think a lot of times we are uncovering, it goes down to the basics of just trust. Um, how, can, how can what we're saying just be more personable um, less, this is our company, you know, it's more of this is who we are. We're starting to see more in the, uh, like, corporate and social responsibilities. Um, how are you impacting the space, um, meaning space community, 
regionally, nationally? What are you doing to make an impact? Getting back down to the human level, um, especially now more than ever after last year. And my friends in recruiting have told me like a lot of people in interviews are asking, what are you doing for uh, Black Lives Matter? What are you doing for the community in X, Y, Z? And um, it's playing a huge part in recruiting right now. So I think it's just getting down to the personal level. I love that so much. That's so inspiring. Clayton, putting it back towards you, man. Real-time portfolio transparency. That interests me. That's on your job description. Let's talk about that. So what are you cautioning or championing for your clients right now that some people might not have even considered yet? Give us some inside scoop. Well, you had mentioned earlier, you know, you have an organization that has done something for 35 years, so they're just continuing to do something for 35 years, right? And uh, there's really no benchmarking or, you know, a, a stop point to, to open up the books and, and start comparing what they are. You know, from a real estate portfolio standpoint, you know, of course we could, mod, you know, audit their, their lease expense and or their cost of ownership as compared to mark-to-market, you know, regardless where their their location could be internationally. But what a lot of folks aren't also looking at is a big portion of their spend is operational. And so within JLL, we manage about $35 billion a year in operational spend. So we can come in and, and audit everything from what you buy a roll of toilet paper for in Tulsa to landscaping in New Mexico to whatever. And we can benchmark that against our spend and our, our preferred vendors and then um, reallocate that savings back to the client. And, um, you know, generally we're in that 10 to 15 percent, um, kind of under promise over deliver is the goal. But we're right there in that 10 to 15 percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you have a, you know, a 10 plus million dollar spend in that in that space, that uh, that could be a significant savings. And those are just the different pieces that we're that we're auditing for folks that they may not be thinking about a traditional real estate company doing. I would never have guessed that. That was the last thing I expected. That's so cool. What a good idea, especially right now with everything and budgets being so tight and careful. You know, what a cool thing. You know, the way that jail on i'm going to drink the kool-aid here for a little bit you know we're we're looking at this differently than just a transaction management relationship right it's more of an extension of of their real estate team and providing those different services and i could inundate this group with the 25 other verticals that we're that we're in but it's what are what is applicable to MA may not be applicable to you know company abc across the street so we had to figure out what it is that you do and uh, and how how you do it and then how can we overlap what we can provide to, to bring that value? Well, I'm curious. So, you know, one of the things that I know a lot of people are considering when they're looking for new space um, is does location still matter given the whole work oh, from yeah. home policy? Yeah. You know, and again, um, the, we're knocking on the door, I think, in next week or next week and a half of being the first shutdown. Um, I think it was March 12th was our, was our mm-hmm. first shutdown. So crazy. And so, you know, the last year has been a little bit of an anomaly from folks wanting to look at space right now. But again, and going back to the point, we talked a ton about the qualitative nature of, of space here today. Um, there, there's also a quantitative component that we have not addressed yet right now. But, um, you know, it's one thing to have space with four cool walls and, you know, all the, the branding that you can have. But what, is that, um, what does that look like when you walk out of that door? You know, there's a reason why you guys are here where you're at. You know, the whole live, work, play environment. Convenience of parking isn't going away for folks in the Midwest either. So there's a lot of other pieces that go into that. And so, yes, I think location is still a heavy component of that. When you mentioned something, so um, I'm very curious as to what the new drive-up culture or bike-up culture might look like, given, you know, the pandemic of, you know, we've seen streets that have closed down and retailers are coming out on the sidewalks. How do you think that might affect, you know, like 
the, the buildings that people are going into? I think it's, it's, it's evolving. <clears throat> the way we're commuting back and forth the space is definitely going to, to change more rapidly here over the next 10 years. But I still think, you know, it's, it's in our mindset, it's in our culture, at least the folks that are in this workforce here today, that we like to drive. And, um, you know, there, there's a piece here with, with the folks that are coming up that, that, that public transit, that bike commute, and Columbus has done a great job with all the paths and, you know, uh, walkways that they've been putting in downtown and, and, and the like. And so it's definitely going to change. But in the, in the near term, you know, these developers that are, you're seeing with buildings going vertical, they have to be able to park folks. And if they can't, then, uh, then they're going to struggle. So <clears throat> what we're seeing is, okay, if we develop this garage, is there a way that we can convert that going forward? And that's just a, a massive expense uh, piece that we're, we're, going, we're currently going through now. Well, I think this leads to everything that you're saying. That So the phrase that we keep hearing is, you know, the workplace is dead. Everyone wants to work from home now. But I don't think that's what you're saying. Would you agree with that statement? Do you disagree with that statement? How do you think the workplace, do we still need space? Well, I need to sleep at night, so I completely disagree with that statement, right? Um, if it's dead, then I need to find something else to start doing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, I, I mentioned this a second ago, the qualitative component of this, we've, we've covered all of that. And that is going to be one of the major driving forces here of moving forward. You know, some of the folks that have said 100%, you know, work from home indefinitely, I think, you know, when you look at this thing on a spreadsheet and your real estate's the second largest item on your P&L besides human capital, it's easy to extract that off and say, wow, look at all the savings we're having. Everybody's working from home extremely efficient. Well, what happens here in three years when you have a whole new generation of folks and, you know, that are there and, you know, they haven't been able to meet their peers, you know, they've been doing all of their training online. Um, it, it's going to be a different impact and I think for the negative. Um, candidly on a longer term basis. It's so interesting. We have a few interns. I have two that work for me right now from Ohio State and they're so starved for experiences because all of their schooling has been digital. They ask me all the time to meet at the office and it shocks me because I'm thinking they would love to do things virtually, you know, because it's so much easier for them. They love coming in because I think, you know, they're not even taking classes in person right now. So to your point, this next gen has been starved for experiences, whether that's high school kids that are doing everything from home. I mean, the stimulation, it's even funny, you can see it in younger kids who, you know, it used to be that if you gave your kid an iPad at the restaurant, they would be quiet for two hours. But now they're like so over it. They just want to be outside. They just want to play. They just want interaction. So it is definitely, again, that pendulum swinging, you know, and finding that equilibrium. But I, I'm very interested. Alicia, what's your take? Coming back into the physical environment is definitely something that is going to stay. I, I don't see it going away, especially just thinking about that flexibility, um, having that flexible space I think is going to be really important even if it's not specific office spaces maybe they're hoteling spaces where you're never in the same spot every day but I really think that people crave and experience crave other human interactions so I, I I agree I don't really think it's going anywhere well let's talk about that a little bit you know so we've got physical space but I, we've been talking about this idea of the digital storefront you know a company's website and social media is their digital storefront and likely the first touch point that a lot of people have when they are looking to a company's you know what where why and how um, so explain the importance of a consistent design and maybe some examples of how to express a company's personality digitally and why it's important to connect people to your space yes so consistent brand colors increase recognition of a brand by 80 percent so having a consistent brand experience 
on the web, on social media, as you do in the physical space, will really help people recognize your brand and connect with it on a personal level. Um, for instance, think of Amazon. Um, they have a huge digital storefront, and you're thinking convenience, fast. If you went to a physical Amazon store, you're going to expect that exact same thing. So you're, you're creating those expectations whenever you are um, sharing your, your brand on a digital storefront. Well, and I think that, that makes me feel like, you know, I could probably say scarlet and gray, and everybody would get what I was talking about. And then just because I would say orange and maroon, too, because I'm a hokey, so. <laughs> you probably lost the audience on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. All right, Clayton. JLL provides clients with innovative, scalable, and comprehensive real estate solutions. Imagine I'm a business owner, and our lease is up in March. We have a company, let's say 100 people. What would you counsel me to do right now? Uh, you're about 11 months too late in calling me if it's this March, right? No, but next March, you know, again, what we are going to need and what each organization is going to need moving forward will be completely different than where they're at right now, most likely. Um, some organizations may not. You know, we, we have a couple of clients that are saying, look, you know, we've, we've been back and, you know, we have had 100% back and we need that going forward and I don't want to see that change. And, you know, again, we talked about the other larger occupiers, which are obviously going to be impacted on a bigger scale. That is, that is going to be different. But if you're up here in March, we'd say, all right, well, let's just sit down and figure out what it is that you need. Is the location where you want it to be? You know, there's a budget pendulum right now as well. In January of last year, it was a very landlord-driven market. And now we're seeing that being back to, uh, to a tenant-driven um, vertical. So it, it, it's going to vary different for every single group. And I know that's not a direct answer of what you need, but you know, it's going to be sitting down with you and understanding what it is that that specific organization needs and figuring out how to complement that. We're actually getting ready to release a survey just to ask people again, what is it in a space that you're looking for? And maybe during that survey, we'll find what industry they're in to really understand what are they looking for when they do go back to the office? What gets them from their home office to the physical office? Um, what are those things that they're craving? So I'm hoping to find a lot more about that whenever we release the survey, because I think it's really important. We have to take another look at it after this year. Yeah, you know, and again, this isn't going to be for a blanket statement for every single industry. You know, I'll throw attorneys in, in on this as, as maybe an anomaly or one that would not qualify. But, you know, prior, on average, we had two-thirds of head-down space that was dedicated. You know, you had your desk or an office or whatever. It was there for head-down work, and now we're seeing that flip over to two-thirds of community type space where you can come in and, and plug in. You don't necessarily have a dedicated desk, but you know you still are going to have a you know one third of that population that that is going to need to be in every day for whatever reason. You know, um, designers and, and planners, you know, they have a different physical space need than customer service or HR or accounting, et cetera. So it's just going to be different for every group. It's so interesting. WGSN is our international trend forecasting tool that Mark and I use a lot. And one of their key emotions is anticipation. And I think a lot of people just, it's fear of the unknown. They don't know what to expect. And so there's all these like really sensationalized ideas of what our new reality is going to be. We've been back, MA has been back since October. I would say about 75% daily. Um, and then people fluctuate. And it's very normal and wonderful, and people actually feel healthier because when they leave, especially our architects that are using bigger programs, when they leave, they leave work, mm -hmm. and they get to have that transition back to life again, you know, because otherwise the lines are so blurred. So it is interesting, and you're, you, know, you guys are all right, that everyone's needs are so different, and it's not to say that even the physical space, it might be the same building, maybe it's set up differently, you know, or maybe the layout is different, or maybe it's more towards hub and spoke or hoteling office versus you know, the designated desk that you return to and come from every day. But I think the anticipation sometimes is worse than 
the actual, you know, event itself. <laughs> it's just anxiety-driven culture, I guess. Sam, I completely agree with you. You know, my, my wife, you know, when they first had this work from home, she really enjoyed it. And she she liked being there and walking down in sweatpants, et cetera. You know, my team specifically, um, and the, the six of us, we've been back in since late May. I just didn't do well working from home. There's something to be said about putting on, you know, your dress clothes and going to the office and being there for a reason from a motivation standpoint. But now she's saying, you know, look, I, you know, you're out talking to different folks like we're doing here today, and I'm working from home, and then you come home at six o'clock, whatever, and you want to just relax. And she's like, I want to go, I want to go out. And she, I need adult interaction outside of a Teams meeting. So yeah, it's yeah, so different. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's where sometimes so we use foresight to help people pre-experience that future because that way they can have an understanding of what that next five seconds might look like or five minutes might look like when they come into a new space. But it's all different now because depending on what their balance of work from home versus working in the space is going to be different. So I think we're going to see and we're developing a whole new wave of workplace personas based off of that. So that way, depending on if, if people are more of a introvert versus an extrovert, plus if they're more of a heads down person, plus if they're on marketing, I think it's all going to combine into these new different typologies that are really exciting. Or ambivert. Ambivert, yes. That's the new one. That's if you're a little bit of both. That might be me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a self-discovery podcast now. (laughs) So coming to our last question then, uh, speaking of the future, so it's to both of you. Um, you know, as a futurist, I'm always looking for like the signals and drivers. So the drivers are the big macro forces that are going to affect change in the next 10 to 20 years. And then the signals are like the little moments that might signify those changes as well, too. So I'm curious, Clayton and Alicia, what do you all think are the signals and drivers that you're seeing today that you're going to affect? Think that, what are the signals and drivers that you're seeing today that you think will affect us 10 to 20 years from now? Personally, I've been seeing the the crave of uh, communication and collaboration, and especially if we're not all going to be in at the same on the same days, I think the collaboration platforms on a digital platform um, it, are going to ev- continue to evolve. How can we be more collaborative? Um, even for us as designers, how can we put something on a digital table, move it around, allow our clients to also move that around on the same page where we're actually collaborating as we would in the physical environment? Um, I think I see a lot more of that evolving. Um, and, and also, I don't see the physical space leaving because we all crave that collaboration. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little bit of both. It's a blend of the physical space uh, becoming more flexible for us, but also the digital platforms becoming a little bit more intuitive for our use. I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about the desynchronized society that we live in right now where people are living in different time frames. And I think just figuring out how to make sure that they can still connect with each other is is important. Yeah, I, I agree with, with Alicia. I don't think um, she's giving herself enough credit, though. Um, I, I think with the tasks that she has when she's meeting with these groups and sitting down and talking about what is it that, you know, is their culture, and I'd be surprised how many actually know that answer, right? And so how do you, how do you figure out how to, how to have those exercises to bring that out? You know, they might not know what they don't know, right? So I do think that that's going to be a huge component of this. I think it's going to be, you know, companies taking a step back and being strategic with, you know, expansion needs, with contraction needs, with whatever. Um, you know, just a complete real estate footprint audit. I, I think, you know, the most successful firms are going to be extremely strategic with, with those initiatives uh, outside of the cultural aspect, environmentally and digitally. Yeah, I think that's exciting, too. And I, I'm excited to see what comes out of it. 
So again, thank you guys for being on our show. Uh, you know, we really appreciate you sharing your innovations and insights. Um, these are the innovations that can help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives to be thinking ahead and to create change. We hope to hear more about them in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at ma-architects.com, where we have the future is now up and running. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me personally, please just reach out to me at markb at ma-architects.com. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe and review and tell us what you want to hear so we can give you the upfront news of what's happening at three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Moeller. I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Clayton and Alicia, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you. It was an awesome Mark, conversation. Thanks, guys. Alicia, as always. Thanks. Thanks.